hello and welcome to the Friendly Rant Podcast. My name is Seth Friend, and I'm here with one of my great friends. This is an international podcast today with my buddy Jiko, the man, Cherume, which I just found out in... in would you do you speak Zimbabwean in in Zimbabwe? What do you speak? <laughs> I speak Shona, bro. That's the that's Shona on front. Yeah, that's the okay. tribe on front. So yeah. Chirume means the man. Yeah, in, more or less. Yeah. So so is that do you, is that how you carry yourself? Do you just carry yourself? Uh, <laughs> yeah, with a bit of prideful arrogance. Yeah, the man. Um, well, directly directly translated, it's like uh, verbatim. It's not the man. Chirume is more like um, hey, there's man. a long. Yeah, it was more like amen, yeah. But I, when I, when I speak to other friends, I'm like, no, it just means no. Man. It's a dumb but man. For, yeah, for any Shona people listening here that might try, you know, uh, <laughs> slide into my DMs later and complain, I'm not spreading <laughs> any misinformation. Well, the man, let me tell you what. It doesn't surprise me that you tell people that because when I met you in Barcelona, you were telling people you learned how to speak English on a plane from Africa to to Barca to Poland. <laughs> you tell people you learned oh, on man. YouTube. No, two view, two view, two view. Two view. It, wasn't even, it wasn't even YouTube. No, I had to sell the dream a bit, you know. Bro, can I bro. Say so, I love? how old were you when you first got to Europe, man? Nine. I was nineteen. Yeah, nineteen. Nineteen. Twenty. Yeah, because I finished high school. We finished in Zimbabwe. Yes, yeah, so I was nineteen. So wait, so you originally, did you always plan to go? Is that kind of like what you do in Zimbabwe? Is it normal for people to want to go to university in Europe or do they try to go everywhere? Like where, what's, what's the norm in Zimbabwe? I'd say Zimbabweans are well-traveled. Uh, we have a really good educational system, which is nice because then it's, it's pretty easy for you to bounce around. Now the, the country itself has had some hardships. So we say the last couple of years, last yeah. two decades have been really tough on the economy. So, I mean, if you can, I was really blessed that, you know, I was able to go, but, you know, I was able to go abroad. Um, and a lot of, I think, my friend group as well. Um, there's still a really good, let's say, tertiary education system in Zimbabwe. But for more for what I wanted to do in aviation, and yeah, it, it, Spain was just the best place to go at that time. But I'm sure we'll get into that later on. Wait, so originally it was Spain? So wait, did you enroll in Poland and then you studied abroad in Barcelona? Oh, man. Do you want the full, full story? Absolutely, man. You got a crazy story. Uh, originally, I wanted to go to Moody Bible Moody Bible Institute because they had a flying school there. Um, D.O. Moody, baby. Yeah, yeah. So I was really keen on doing, like, let's say, like, Bible school along with getting my private pilot's license and then being trained like that to be a missionary pilot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I was really, really, really keen on that. And then that didn't, like... Spoke to my family. They weren't too keen on me just going straight into ministry without, let's say, something like to back me up with like a mm. degree. So they kind of closed that door. And then it looked like I was going to have to just go do business um, in either in Zimbabwe or in South Africa. So I'd applied to a few universities in South Africa. And I got accepted for some, from some business courses, but that didn't really like, it didn't really excite me. And it was more so just for my parents, you know, just mm. to say that I did it. And then uh, what happened? Yeah, we found this university in Spain that was offering um, that was offering this aviation degree, and they were doing it with, in partnership with the university that I was at in Poland. So it was like, yeah, a partnership between the two of them. And the first stop was over over there in Spain, and that's where we met. Nice man, nice. That's awesome. Yeah, when I met you, bro, you and I bonded over a love for basketball. Yeah, and you were telling me that you were a baller back in high school, man, playing rugby, and you were balling on people and everything. So, um, just to jump to the chase, bro, you were a professional. Is it a rugbyer? Is it a rugby player? What would you call it? Rugby player. Yeah, rugby Rugby player. player. Man, you and tell me about that. When did you first fall in love with rugby, dude? 
I have been playing rugby since I was, we say grade three, you would say third grade. So since I was like, I think about eight, okay. um, eight or nine. Yeah. Been playing why, rugby since then. Why did you um, choose rugby over soccer or cricket? I know that that's like the big three over there. Yeah, we, cricket we cricket's have, also another really big one. Yeah. Ba- um, we have basketball, football, and baseball. And then everywhere else, it's cricket, rugby, and soccer. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Man, so why did I choose? Why did I choose rugby? That's a good question. Honestly, because the way in Zimbabwe, the way it works is that your sports are kind of split up into like your terms. So we have three terms in a year, like a semester, right? So we have three terms mm-hmm. in a year, and each term has a sport. And I think. When we were in grade three, we just that's and we just when we started rugby and like in that term when we started rugby, the second term, the winter term for rugby, we just I just caught on to it. I wasn't always good though, um, but yeah, it was fun. I just I just didn't, I don't know what it is. Um, just something about running into other people and trying to get the best of them. That, that yeah. So ex- if you if you could explain rugby to an American like me, obviously I I know a little bit about rugby, but if you could explain that's it to true. the average person, what would you tell them? I would say it's American football, but we don't use the padding. We use whatever God gave us. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we use whatever God gave us to begin with. Um, so I think rugby players are just a bit more, a bit more tougher. Okay. Sorry to uh, my, your American audience out there. Um, secondly, I would say we, it's not so stop-start. So there's no offensive team, defensive team, blah, 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 and like special teams or whatnot. Everybody, the position that you play, you play, you can attack and defend at the same time. Mm. It's kind of like, let's say, f- soccer for the sake of this podcast. When you're Football, going back and forth. yeah, soccer. Football, there we go. When you're going back and forth, like the, every, one moment you're attacking, the next you're defending. Mm. Right? So rugby's rugby's pretty similar in, in that sense. We can't throw the ball forwards. It's always diagonally or backwards. And uh, when we tackle... We don't have any padding, yeah. So uh, you can wear like some special headgear, just but not like a helmet. It's more like a cushion, mm-hmm. um, kind of like you know the knee pads they wear in the NBA or like the shoulder things that they have there. You yeah, can get, you can get that for your head as well in rugby. That's probably just to prevent cuts and stuff like that, right? Yeah, not really and doing then, too much with concussion. It, it cushions it a bit. I wear one. It helps a bit. Like it helped me when I was a junior. I got a I got a concussion. I got concussed a few times, but uh, mm-hmm. yeah, that that helped me. Also, rugby is safer with the head injuries because. You're yeah. not allowed to tackle from the from the shoulder up, so it's it's from like shoulder below down to like. You have to have good form and tackling. Yeah, you you have to, and you can't like. What the moment you start to get above somebody's shoulders, they're really strict with the rules, especially now um, in the game. They they're all about player safety, um, so you also just see a lot less cases of like um, CTE in players mm. and whatnot. The point scoring um, the is degrees. weird too, though, right? Like yeah, in American, like yeah. American football, it's six points for a touchdown. How many points do you get? Do you call it a touchdown? What do you call it? No, a goal? So we call it a try. Um, a try. Five. Yeah, we call you it get a five try. points. So I, I scored a try, so you you get five, and then after you score a try, you have to convert. So, so that's where you kick a field goal. Yeah, exactly. But you kick from the point where you scored. Just uh, you know, in line. Interesting. With okay, so timeout. So timeout. You have to. What do you call it? Do you call it kicking a field goal? Uh, it's it's a conversion. A conversion, and you get two points for that. You get two points for that. Okay, yeah. so it still ends up with seven points. Yeah, yeah if you made it, if you made it, if you missed if you it, made it's five. It. So yeah. okay, when you when the rugby or when the rugby player runs the ball, they toss it, and the guy on the edge runs it in. Why is it that they run around in the end zone area before falling down on the ball? Ah, oh, yeah, you, you've been watching a bit, bro. Yeah, I do watch a little bit. Yeah. I try to be educated. Why do they fall no, on the like ball? It. Because that means um, the play so is over. Like, so, so let's say in American football, like as soon as you p- put your foot into the end zone, like that's it. It's a touchdown, right? right? For rugby, you can go, let's say, we call it a try box. So you go into like our end zone, but you also have to put the ball down. 
So that's why they, they will go into the end zone, they'll put the ball down. But to make the kick easier, the conversion that I just told you mm. about, they try to run as close to the middle of the post as they can so that your nice. kicker has got a good angle. Um, it just makes his life easier, so it's almost a guaranteed two points, some easy money for you. Okay. But, I mean, sometimes you can't go all the way to the middle, and you've got to dot it down where you yep. are. And, yeah, so people will, like, do crazy celebrations. They'll jump in the air with it or whatever. Nice. And, so yeah, when so when somebody gets tackled, I know that the the guy holding the ball usually throws it back to his other teammate. Does he yes. have to throw it back? Like, well, excuse me. Can the person that tackled them try to get the ball from them in that way, or how do they? How does the ball change yes. position? Yes, yes, yes. So it can change position in a couple of ways. Well, if you drop it, then it's going mm-hmm. to the other team. So um, and it's a turnover. And if I tackle you. When you fall to the ground, so that we fall to the ground like on your shoulder and you place the ball like that way to your teammates. Yeah. Um, in that process of me falling to the ground and placing it, there's a brief window that um, the opposition is allowed to come and steal the ball. It's very hard, but there's there's a brief window for it. And that's when you could change possession like that. Okay. Otherwise, it's like if they kick it to you in the, in the game or like if you mm-hmm. intercept a pass, um, it kind of just flows. All right, one more question about understanding the game because I feel like I have a better understanding now. What in the world is a scrum when they throw their shoulders (laughs) together? Why do they do that? All right, so scrum, um, what do you guys call it in American football? Where you have like... uh, I think basketball is a better... Like it's a jump ball in basketball. Yeah, it's it's okay. It is it is almost the equivalent of a jump ball. Yeah, so it's to decide possession for between the two okay. teams. And what you have is what they call a front row. So it's the best illustration is with my fists. If this mm-hmm. is one team and this is another team, you have three players in line, mm-hmm. three really big guys. They will be like um, so you one hundred. No, 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 like big big men. I'm telling you, like one hundred and twenty kgs. What's that in pounds? Okay, so wait, you're you weigh two hundred and eight pounds. How many is that yeah. in kilos? That's about 95. 95? Okay. So like, 95. so like 10, 12 kilos heavier than you. Yeah, easily. Or more. Or more. Okay. Yeah, these, are, these are like, yeah. This would so be like, like 240. Your, 240. Yeah, this is 240 easily. This is like okay. your offensive lineman. Yeah. Um, well, so our be, offensive linemen yeah. are, you know, like 350 pounds. But I always like, have to run around, you know. They yeah, have to okay. Keep that's that so this is like a tight end. It's like a tight yeah, end. Okay. Yeah. Because they, they have to run for 80 minutes. I mean, maybe okay. they'll get subbed off, but it's not like <laughs> they can just push and then they have to. Yeah. It's one thing to have that weight. It's another thing to, you know, carry it in the game. There's so some scrum, rugby supremacy going on here. You're, you're making yeah. a good argument. You're trying to say that rugby say, players man, are tougher. I think it's the original game, so I'm, I'm, okay. I'm sorry for I'm sorry for all of your your buddies that are going to be listening to this. But I hope that you know I, I enjoy American football as well. I think they've got different elements and different things that they do well. We got um, crazier also, hits because of the padding. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'd say that it's, it's, it's hardcore with the way they just like and they just go much first. Man. Oh yeah, they smash I, each other with the face mask. My buddy Zach Sabravo is an offensive lineman, and uh, he showed me his helmet from his senior year in the paint is just rubbed off the face mask in the front like the sticker from the helmet all it's just chipped away and it's because they lead you know they they smash with the face when they come in you know they try to smash them you know and and make contact you guys would never butt your head with somebody i think the picture you sent me yeah i was gonna say i think your the picture you sent me your buddy that you took a picture with his mouth was bleeding did he catch a straight knee or something yeah he probably got cut um uh we call it a rug when like you've tackled people and then he just got cut on the lip Mm. yeah and they don't stop the clock for injuries too i figured that out no they don't but if it's really bad like i mean if you're concussed or like if a player's just like you know he's broken something yeah they'll make an exception okay so they'll make an exception 
Yeah, yeah, but you know, play safety first. But uh, generally, no, the clock will keep going. So talk to me. You you told me when we met in Barcelona back in 2018, which can you believe it's coming up on four years ago? Yeah, that, man, time flies. Eh? I know, man, especially with COVID, time flew. Um, yeah. made, like it made time stand still. It was weird, but it also like you look back, I can't believe that was two years ago. But yeah, you know, we sit there. And you told me how much of a much you loved rugby four years ago, and you were like, "Yeah, but I think I'm done because I tore my ACL." So talk to me about before you tore your ACL, what rugby was becoming like for you, and why you loved rugby so much, and what you thought your future held for you. Oh man, yeah, that was like I think anybody that knows me back then, uh, yeah, I was I lived, slept, and breathed rugby, man. That was that was it, um, and yeah, I tore my ACL when I was about sixteen, seven, no, seventeen. I tore my ACL. Thankfully, it wasn't a complete test. I didn't need to reconstruct the surgery, but it was still pretty, like, it was still pretty bad. Um, and it took about a year and a half on and off, because then I kind of retore it again, rushed the recovery. Because um, I was also doing uh, athletics at the time, so track and field, um, and I was, I was running 400 meters and 100 meters. So they kind of wanted me back in time for that. So rushed the recovery a bit, which wasn't wise, and then that kind of messed it up. So more or less, it took me about a year and a half to come back and play rugby again. But by then, it, yeah, man, if you've taken a year, almost two years off, it's like you need to just get used to using the knee again, mm-hmm. get your athleticism back, <clears throat> not to mention just getting the skills, the skills themselves that you haven't been using. So, yeah, I played my final year in high school in rugby. Um, before that, I was really hoping to get into into an academy. So a big thing in Zimbabwe is guys will go. Um, South Africa's got a really good professional rugby scene, um, if not one of the best in the world. And, yeah, so a big thing is guys will go there, get scouted by a club, and then get into an academy um, and work through the age group. So you're under 18s, 19s, under 20s, and then mm-hmm. get into the senior team eventually um, or get signed by another club. But it's just like a gateway to do that. So I was really hoping that I could do that. Um, didn't work out, didn't go my way, and then uh, started to focus a bit more on school again. So, yeah, when we met when we met in Barcelona, I didn't think I was going to ever really play again. I thought, yeah, maybe I'll play an occasional, like, friendly game with some, some buddies at the beach. But, yeah. yeah well, you're, think- I mean, you're a crazy athlete, man. I remember playing basketball with you on the on the beaches. And listen, for the listeners, there's some students in, my stu- in, in the ministry that I work in that think I'm terrible at basketball. And I, and I am now. <laughs> but that summer when we played, tell them, Chico, I was good. Uh, you, you were hooping, bro. I was okay. There was a time. White chocolate, where was, man. White chocolate, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey. I would tell you, listen, man, there was a summer. I think it was the hair. When I cut my hair, I would not, I could not couldn't hoop anymore i had the flow i had the flow going. you and your chuck taylor's bro bro i yeah, was balling chucks listen to those guys who are going to who are going to be throwing shade at you i promise you they've never played at such a beautiful court as the ones that we played at bro, bro. right on the beach there in barcelona the nba court the it's like a coliseum there, ocean breeze also just like the community i don't know what it's like in america i'm sure it's pretty competitive as well but just like the, not as friendly as barcelona pickup yeah, ball man, man. Just you could play with complete strangers and you would just be like the first, like the first time I showed up at the Parque de la Barcelona, it was, is that, that's the one it was at, right? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And we showed up and I saw this massive like court and I was like, what in the world? And it wasn't that crazy. It was just two half courts, but they had this like, it looked like a ring of lamps around it, but it was yeah. so tall. It looked like the Coliseum in Rome. And I was like, yo, like if this is how the parks are here in Barcelona, I'm going to be all right. And, uh, man, I remember showed up and that's before I met you, but remember that guy, James, that I was friends with that summer? Yes. yes yeah. Yes. I met him my first day and we exchanged numbers. And the next thing I knew is like, we hung out all summer. And so it was like, 
it's not like that here in America, bro. Like you don't show up and people are just balling, at least in South Carolina. It's probably like that in more <laughs> urban cities, but not where I'm at for sure. But yeah, man, you were always a great athlete. And I was always shocked when you were like, yeah, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to play again because of my ACL. And then I remember one day we were just talking, you were like, yeah, I'm I just got, I just uh, started playing some uh, semi pro rugby or whatever. And I was like, Oh, that's exciting. And the next thing you know, you were like, yeah, I'm, I'm uh, playing for Uvinia Krakow now. And I was like, Whoa, time out. And I looked it up. It was like a professional team. I was like, yo, Gico. (laughs) So what, what happened, man? What started to change? Man, I have to shout out to my buddy Henry. He's uh, from Papua New Guinea. Um, okay. Yeah, if you know what that is, I'll oh, be I know very it is, impressed. Yeah. It's, it's an island right in the Pacific. Just, uh, off... Yeah, there we go. Look at you. Well traveled, Mr. Yeah, man. Very well traveled. So I had a buddy called Henry from PNG. I'm there from Papua New Guinea. And he was, he was also really passionate about rugby. And I had been in Poland a year longer than he had. Um, and he came through and he's like, hey, man, like, I know you like rugby. Let's find a club to play for. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. We've got classes, you know, and I'm doing some things on the side. I don't really have time for it. And then he kept bugging me and bugging me, but I was writing my exams and I just didn't have time for it. But then I finished the exams and he kept bugging me. I said, OK, we'll go to practice. We played. Um, it was a tiny rugby club. There weren't that many people like rugby is played in two formats. 15s, that's a full team. Um, and then there's the sevens, which is kind of like five aside uh, football. So then mm-hmm. we also have then we have the yeah the sevens so it's half basically more or less yeah so they were more of a sevens team um just small small group of guys that just like rugby so we started to play and then you know i had that like competitive itch yeah it was like okay we're doing this again and um but they didn't have ma- that many games so henry um what happened then we found a club a couple hours away from us and we just started to go on the weekends. It was like four hours away. And we just started mm. to go. They were, we had a mutual friend who was playing there already and he kind of introduced us to them. And then they were happy to have us. So we would just go on weekends and play with them and play with them. And then that was going well. And I was like, wow, I'm starting to play more often again. It's nice. Just, it was social, very social, very social. And then I had a chat with one of the buddies from the club and he's like, hey man, why don't you just try like try for a professional rugby club here? And I was like, I don't know if I'm good enough. But then, yeah, he pushed me to do it. And Long story short, uh, I'm there, man, by the grace of God. So it's been That's fun. awesome, man. It's been, it's been a so fun So you're not at Uvenia Krakow anymore. What team do you play for now? No, I transferred now because I moved jobs, because um, I moved cities and then I got the new job. So now I'm playing for Arka Gdynia. It's right on the mm-hmm. Baltic Sea. Um, yeah, yeah it's, it's been good. Rugby is not a very popular sport in this part of you. Oh, in Europe, it's more in England, France, Italy, Scotland. Like right. The, the Commonwealth and then I'd say Italy and France. Nice, um, but here, like, there's a nice. It's like you got a lot of like expats, you've got a lot of people from South Africa, from the UK, from hmm. Tonga, from random places, all coming together in the league. So that's been pretty cool. It's been nice to meet people from all over the world. Yeah, so you're at like an interesting part in life where you know you're still pursuing your calling in ministry. Where you know, and I want you to explain what your dream is long term. This is why I said you have a cool story. Where right now your your love for rugby. And your call to ministry are like parallel with one another in life. We're <laughs> like, you're able yeah, to do man. both. So yeah, what's your dream, man? What, what did God lay on your heart that you wanted to do? What's your big dream? Ooh, don't know if we have enough time for that, but I'll, I'll mm. summarize it uh, with my, with my lovely English that I learned from YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> so I've always been passionate about aviation. Uh, I think planes have fascinated me since I was about five. My dad took me to an air show and I just said, wow, you know, this is amazing. So people parachuting out. And then just saw the jets on the ground and like, yeah, I've been, 
when I got like a pen and a paper, I'd always try to sketch a plane that I saw on TV and whatnot. And I was always passionate about aviation. I thought I was going to be a pilot straight away. Mm. Um, and I was always wondering how am I going to like combine, obviously, like my love for God, for the church, and my heart for people, and then also my love for aviation. And then, um, yeah, the idea came to me, and I just read about different organizations that do like um, outreaches to like really hard to reach people, and just like. I'm African, I'm from Zimbabwe, so, you know, um, of course, charity begins at home. So I'm looking at it more in the context of what can I do for my own people. You know, I've been so blessed to travel abroad and, and live abroad and, and see different places and, and be and be all over and meet guys from all over the world like you as well. But it's also about what can you do to give back. Um, and, yeah, so I did a degree in aviation management, and then that's kind of aligned me to hopefully further down the line combine ministry and aviation and that's going to look more like me flying missionaries the gospel to hard to reach places i'll start over there in zimbabwe and then we'll see kind of how it goes along and just helping the communities out there man because the nice thing about aviation is whether you're using helicopters or those little like um you know the little cessna planes they prepare yeah, the, the bush box. planes yeah the bush planes they can go they can go to some really really hard to reach places and they're such good tools especially mm. for let's say communities that are just um really remote marginalized and the government doesn't care too much about them so there's definitely a need for that i think all over the world all over and and in zimbabwe as well so so uh, how do you think to go back yeah so how do you think that right now in life so I kind of want to talk about like the your fitness and nutrition aspect of being a rugby player and what goes into that along with you're out of school now, which is awesome. You finished your master's before me, right? <laughs> you're killing it, dude. And uh but you know, you you balanced so much, right? You were at um what's the acronym for your university in Poland? What was it again? Uh UITM. Yeah, so you were there, and you were um, you were also doing stuff for their media. You were like the face yeah. of their media, and you were playing rugby, yeah. and you were studying for your your exams, bro. Where did your motivation come from? Like, I know it's from the Lord, but like, what aspects of following Christ motivate you to push so hard to achieve these things? Oh man, you make me sound a lot better than I am, but thanks, Sam. bro. I mean, you sound a lot better than, than a lot of people. No, <laughs> you're you're it's, killing it's it. Such a, no, I mean, I think just one realizing just how blessed I've been to be here and just the opportunities that I've been able to get, and then just God calls us to be, I think, excellent. You know, have that spirit of excellence and to work unto the Lord, not unto me, man. I think that's something that's really like driven me in my in, in my life, and I think more so the last, let's say, three years, um, when it was like a lot was on my plate, like you were saying, you know. Um, studying full-time but then also like i was working that was when i was working at the airport as well so that was quite hectic um but yeah just that spirit of excellence that god calls us to do and i think uh, christians in the church we have a tendency to become really comfortable and complacent with what god's given us so god's given all of us talents right he's given all of us gifts and abilities be it like um some people are called to preach you know some people are called to business or whatever but he's given you gifts and abilities and i think it's it's on us. It's on us to use them to the best that we can, and to use them for His glory. You know, so I can go out there and be the best accountant that I can mm. be, if that's what I'm called to do. You know, in my case, and I'm in aviation, so I'm I'm just gonna go out there and be the best that I can be in aviation, working for whatever companies I'm gonna be working for. And then, yeah, that's just kind of what's driven me. I think just that spirit of excellence that God calls us to to have and and, and to be and to work as we're working out to Him. Um, what was your a, What was your job when you were working at the airport? While you were I was working this? for a maintenance company. Okay. Um, so we were doing aircraft maintenance, so we'd fix big uh, commercial planes uh, and also private jets as well. Um, but more the the steady business was the your your Boeing's and your Airbuses. Um, so yeah, we we were fixing those because that's quite 
it's quite heavily regulated in the world, aircraft safety and aircraft maintenance. Mm-hmm. Like they have to get their parts replaced every couple yeah. cycles or every couple hours, well, thousands of hours. Um, and just depending on the aircraft age, they need to get everything taken out and whatnot. So yeah, so, I was working in maintenance. Was it hard to get that job? Because I feel like you know, you weren't. Were you actually fixing the plane, or were you kind no, of? No, I wasn't a mechanic, so I was like in the back office. So we were. Uh, okay. I was working in, in um, the marketing, so we would speak to the clients who were the airlines. So we're speaking to the customers. The company was nice. They had a couple bases all over Europe. They had one in Serbia, they had another one in the north of Poland, they had another one in Slovenia. So it was kind of nice. I got to travel around a bit. And um, yeah, we were speaking to airlines. That was that was kind of our, our thing and just seeing like what they need, the type of planes they have, how mm. can we like help them um, just putting out our services. It's kind of, marketing is hard, I think, in aviation because not everybody has a plane. That might be a good thing, right? Yeah, (laughs) yeah, exactly. So that's what that's what I was doing. So it was more like on the on the business side than actually. Right. I'm I'm glad. Thank God they didn't let me like touch the aircraft. I'd have gone in the cockpit and pressed on by mistake, switched on the engine, and take off down the runway. Like, oh, I don't even know what's going on. Um, (laughs) It was very nice. How cool is it that like? How cool is it that like the Lord opened up? a door for you to, to work in that environment and to get that experience, if not to prepare you for the future. You know, I think that that's, that that's so cool. I'm sure that there were probably moments where you were sitting there saying, what am I doing? Why is like, you know what I mean? Like, am I ever actually going to be able to achieve this? Is this just a pipe dream? That kind of stuff. What did you do during those moments when you were down? Cause I know for me, you know, as I'm finishing my masters and I'm, you know, grinding, trying to get to where I know God's called me to get some days are harder than others. So, you know, as you were balancing rugby school, this job relationships, making sure that you were eating the right foods and exercising for rugby so that you could perform well. What did you do when you get down? Or were you so busy that you didn't even have time to get down? <laughs> I wish that was true. I wish I, I just like I just never switched that on, man. Just yeah. Stay positive all the time. Gratitude, I think. Um, one uh, shout out to Tim Keller. I listened to one of his talks, or maybe I read it in one of his books. But he spoke about. Mm-hmm. Now it was it was it was a sermon, and he spoke about um, just corporate worship and and worshiping God. And being grateful even when we don't really feel like it. And I think that's that's something that's helping. Now, I don't think that that's meant that I don't get down. For sure, there's times when you're just like, well, well this is a really hard season. Mm. But then also, I think just that habit of forcing myself to be grateful um, and remembering, you know, I think it's nice. I remind myself constantly what I'm what I'm doing and why I'm doing this, doing it for this and that, you know. So I look at my goals like pretty regularly and I think that kind of keeps my mind refreshed as to like even when things aren't going your way when you're not getting game time or when the team is losing or when you're failing your exams and it's just hard to balance work yeah. and, and studying just yeah that kind of keeps me in check so when you come to a place like Europe from Zimbabwe do you think that there do you think you have the advantage of having this attitude of being grateful and that there's an aroma of like entitlement from probably people that grew up with all of the blessings of, you know, the the modern West of Europe. Do you think that that kind of, that kind of makes you work harder? Yeah, I think like even in America, people would say they have that immigrant mentality, right? Sure. So I think it's a natural consequence, you know, like I know where I came from. Um, mm. And I mean, I was pretty blessed in my upbringing, but just knowing just my my surroundings, you know, 
uh, and I'm like, I'm here, I'm in the first world, you know, and it's like, it's totally different world. Is Zimbabwe considered third world? Yeah, for sure. Okay, really? Because the way, the way that you talk it's about still, it, like, you it's know. still developed. No, no, don't get right. me wrong. Like, so I, third I, world doesn't necessarily mean undeveloped. Yeah, it doesn't mean like okay. we're all living in a hut, you know what I'm no, saying? No, I know so, you're living in a hut. <laughs> yeah, that was one thing I used to hate when I moved to, when I moved over here. Is that I'd say I'm from Africa and everybody like, wow, you're from Africa. Like, did you just grew up in a hut? Like, why, why do you speak good English? Did you grow up in a hut? Oh, and, my goodness. So that forth. probably made you so mad. Which is why I ended up telling them I learned on YouTube because it's just a bit of story. <laughs> like, right. I got, I, yeah, I got tired of it. It's like, okay, are you going to be foolish enough to believe this? Um, yeah, absolutely. And some people, but, some people were, you know, yeah. we're not going to name names. <laughs> I, so. <laughs> no, I always thought it was a joke at the end, man. I, when I first said it, I didn't think anyone would believe me. It was all out of jest. And then little, little did I know they would run with that story. And Thankfully, Andrew around. Smith told me beforehand that you were a jokester <laughs> and you tried to drop oh. that one on me. I said, I heard about this one. Chico. <laughs> I needed to come up with a different approach, man. I need some new material. But it's okay. I know, man. I know it. Well, I remember. Well, it's funny that you said that because I re- <laughs> do you remember having dinner at the Smith's house and Andrew Lugway was like, you know what? I just realized and we were like, what? He was like, I never built my mud hut. And I said, what are you talking about, bro? He's like, I'm not a man. And I said, what are you talking about, Andrew? He's like, I have to build my mud hut. I was like, Andrew, get out of here. What are you doing, bro? <laughs> But I'm sure that's probably annoying, though. You know what I mean? Like, you know, do you feel like that there's an aroma where people, do you think people look down on Africa as a whole? They think that, you know, they're behind? I think it's, no, for sure, like, there definitely is that stigma that we're super behind. There's no internet, and I don't know what a PlayStation is. (laughs) Um, And I think in some regards, yes. Like, okay, you can say maybe Africa is not as developed as, let's say, Europe is or North America. In, In some regards, yeah. But we're not living in huts, and I yeah. just think it's like this misinformation. People don't quite understand what's like, mm-hmm. what's out there. That like, okay, like it's not all craziness. Like, no. there's electricity. Maybe it'll go sometimes, but like, there's electricity. There's running water. Like, there's there, there are these things. There are there so is I, civilization. Yeah, <laughs> man. So I, I just I've taken it with a grain of salt. Though. I don't mind anymore. I think in the beginning it used to get to me like, do these people not know anything? Like, I'm not expecting you to know about my country. Like, there's 54 yeah. states in Africa. Like, you don't need to know like everything. But like, just like, don't be shocked when. I I can speak English or when I just mm. know how to use technology. Like, please. Mm. Do you think that so recently, was it within the past four or five years that the president of Zimbabwe, he was recently assassinated, wasn't he? Ah, uh, no. So what happened was oh, that was a long time ago. No, um, there was a coup. coup d'etat. A coup. Okay. Uh-huh. So that how was is like, that? Go ahead. Sorry, yes. I'm interrupt you. No, no, go for it. Ask the question. Go ahead. I was just going to say, so how, how does that affect you being away from home? I know that's got to be hard. Yeah, man. So when I first heard about it, I kind of thought coups were things that happened in West Africa. I was like, okay, that's mm-hmm. that's like okay, we we're we don't have coups. <laughs> like that's the stuff we hear about in the news. Um, yeah, I think it happened when we were in Barcelona, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it happened when we were in Barcelona. I don't know if you had left though. You might have left. By I might have left because I think I talked yeah. to you about it on the phone. Okay, so it happened. So it happened. While I was still in Barcelona. I remember speaking to, the, to Andrew Smith about it though. Yeah. Um, how did that affect me? I think, well, it was nice because I could still speak to my family and I knew that they were fine and they were safe. And ultimately, it was fairly bloodless. They just really wanted that current president to go. And to be honest, mm. he'd been there for like 38 years, almost 40 mm. years. So I can kind of see why they were frustrated with the way <laughs> sure. the was going. So in that sense, you know, I mean, my family's not really politically affiliated. In, in yeah. That. So it was just like, for the normal citizen, we thought it was good at the time. Now... How things have turned out is a conversation for another day. Um, there you go. Well, you and I, you and I carry on a lot of political conversations, but yeah. we won't do that on the air. So, <laughs> so man, talk to me about 
the lifestyle of a rugby player, you know, what I, in my mind. So, okay. Remember you sent me that meme a while back. You were like how Americans eat breakfast and it was a cup of black coffee, a pile of bacon and a gun. And you were like, this is, so I picture a rugby player eating breakfast similarly minus the gun because you guys don't carry weapons. And so, no. you know, I picture, I picture lots of, lots of hearty, like a lot of carbs, a lot of protein. So what's your, what do you eat? What's your average meal look like? I know you're, you've put on weight. So how much weight have you put on and what did you have to eat to put on that weight? Like what? Since I saw you, easily. Yeah. Like Wait, did you did you kilos? bulk up recently though? Um, I think it's kind of been sustained. I just okay. started, so I was like I was running. I was at the point where I was running more, so I started to do like the half marathon. So I was mm-hmm. quite lean then, and then I started. Uh, I was still doing weights, but really just I was doing. I was enjoying my running more. Mm-hmm. And then once the rugby thing kind of started to kick off, I realized I needed to put more on my frame. So. What does my diet look like? That's a good question. Hopefully my coach is not listening. You're not eating but, beans uh, for breakfast like they do in England, are you? No. That's the, no as an American, I, I, that is I the like, most despicable. I like, I like baked beans, bro. I like baked beans. Though. They're, I like they're baked they're beans nice. with a hamburger for dinner. I'm not going to eat baked beans for breakfast. They're nice, man. Baked beans, a nice fried egg, some toast with some butter. Bro, with them, some listen, butter you, know, you know I'm cultured. That's where it's at. You, you know yeah. that I'm I'm a connoisseur of culture. I never. That's where it's that. at, man. That's where it's at. You're missing out. I think typically, honestly, oh. typically, I'll have like because I'm working as well. So it's like I'll have oats in the morning before I go okay. to work. Oats with like fruit. Like I like to chop it up with some uh, what is it? Some berries or just some apples, like in my oats. And then like I I go big on lunch. That's 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 it. Big lunch. Of, yeah, yeah, because then I'm going to have a training session in the afternoon. So, mm. or like, after I finish work, so I definitely need something to kind of carry, carry me throughout. Um, so, lots what of would you say your, Yeah, what would you say your typical lunch is? Um, kind of just depends. I like to vary it up a bit. But a lot of the times, it's, like, lots of potatoes and chicken. Like, I'll, I'll chuck the potatoes in the oven, same with the chicken, like a mm. quarter chicken or chicken breast. Um, if not that, like, today, what did I have? Today I had chicken again and pasta. But, like, yeah, chicken, pasta. It was, like, a cream maybe some mushrooms and stuff, but then again, lots of that. Throwing down um, in the kitchen, ain't you? <laughs> yeah, man. Just practicing, bro. Just practicing. Right. And there is no, there is no Mrs. Cherume out there. <laughs> no. So if there's anybody that, you know, wants to move to Portland <laughs> and slide into Jico's DMs. <laughs> uh, wait, hold on. Update, bro. Update. Oh, wait, actually, time out. My bad. I'm so, yeah, I totally forgot. You have a girlfriend. Is. Oh yeah, my goodness. I like I'll I'm send sorry. her this and she will Please do not. Man. Oh, she's going to be so mad at me. I forgot. I'm so chop this out. Oh no. <laughs> I totally forgot. Well, listen, man. For four years, you and I have been talking. You know, no, you that's walked true. through. That was my com- That was my. That, yeah, that was me. I was king single. But like you and I, kids, you and I were talking about how you know you walked through me. You were invited to my wedding, like everything, and you were you were my single boy. I said you're going to come down here. We're going to get you a nice girl from South Carolina. We're going to get you moved to the states, right? All this stuff. We have a Boeing plant here in South Carolina. We got you. And uh, man, you met a very nice girl who lives in the UK, right? Yeah. Do you think that she? fell for you because you're now a rugged rugby player and you're jacked and, and <laughs> yeah that's that's i'm, I'm gonna say yes to that she'll roll her eyes but i'm gonna say yes to that she'll, awesome she'll man nice. can i, so can I tell check... a story yeah go for can it I tell a story i mean you've been asking me all of these questions but i think i need to give people on your podcast some content oh no it's uh, it's, uh yeah so i've always, i haven't had the privilege of meeting your lovely wife just yet kind of okay. but i've heard a lot about her and i think i almost feel like i'm like i've met her you know I, oh I yeah say, we all I'd facetimed say, yeah yeah i'd say i'd say we're friends um do you remember that time we called her and um i had like that that was when black panther had just come out and yes bro <laughs> and I, you said you said you said let me practice my southern accent 
for your uh, your your girlfriend from South Carolina. And I said, yeah, go for it. I still have the video somewhere. You were like, "Hi, my name's Gico, and I'm from <laughs> and I'm from Connor, Texas." Yeah, and I, I remember I remember us calling Connor. And then another story that I really wanted just to to tell you, listeners. I don't know if you're going to edit this out. Oh no, whatever, I got not. I got a, I got a couple stories, man. The first one oh, is boy. the haircut. The first one is the haircut. Do you do Dude. you remember that haircut that you had, bro? That Argentinian guy gave me the best haircut of my life. <laughs> The funniest thing was after you got the cut, seeing you just like walk through the streets of Barcelona, man. And like, you know, there's like a lot of like um, stores with like just the with the windows and you just yeah. bam, hair flowing. I know, man. I, I was so vain. <laughs> I know. I'm going to tell you senior pastor, bro. I'm going to need to uh, tell you senior pastor. No, bro. Please. I was so feeling that haircut. I had long hair in all summer. And then I kept sending pictures of Connor. Uh, or pictures to Connor of me with short hair and she kept saying I miss your short hair so lo and behold I cut my hair and then uh, I was walking around in the summer and it was like I could feel the breeze finally on my neck I didn't have long hair and anytime I'd walk by a window I'd be like this looks phenomenal that was the greatest haircut of my life it was incredible you roam those streets like a king, bro, like a lion. Bro. I, remember, and then, I remember the grace you were walking I tried to get another one from the same place before I went back, remember? And, and they, they were booked. I had to get my hair cut from a Moroccan guy who cut my hair with a straight blade and a comb. <laughs> <laughs> was so, I was so scared. He was cutting my hair. I was mad. I was sitting there. I was like, I, he's doing uh, it wrong. He messed man. me up, too. I remember that. So, yeah, man. Yeah. But then I remember, <laughs> I remember man, you, me, and Mickey. Shout out to, to Miklos Joke. He right? just got the, married, actually. I, I know. wasn't able to make it for his Ready, but yeah, he just got married a couple weeks ago. Oh, maybe. Bro, you remember San Juan? And, uh, bro, that was so much fun. So, San Juan is a is a Barcelonian holiday, but it has Catholic origins, and it means Saint John. And what you do? It's the fifteenth of June. No, yeah, is is it the fifteenth of June? Something sometime in June. Yeah, me, Gico, and a guy named Mick, Mick. We call him Mickey. His name was Miklos. Mickey. We just became friends because we went to the International Church of Barcelona and we all met up and we decided to hang out at San Juan. San Juan is a holiday where people kind of, it's like the Mardi Gras of Barcelona, but they do fireworks and they have these things called fire runners where people dress up like demons and they run underneath firecrackers and it's exploding in all over the city. There's just fireworks going off. Well, we went up to the Plaza de España over there by the, um, by that mall that used to be a bullfighting arena yeah, where the, yeah, um, the giant art muse- art museum is where the Olympic park is and all that stuff. And we climbed all the way to the top. You could see over the entire city and we were sitting up there, bro. And just all over the city, it was like, pow, 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 pow. pow. Sounded I was like, like it was under siege, man. Just bro. Boom, I was like, boom, is, I literally boom, looked at you boom. guys. I was like, they could go to war right now. And we would not know <laughs> we'd be dumb for, but then, the bank. Do you remember when we said bye to Mickey and then we walked and we saw that giant bonfire? I mean, people yeah, were, they were dancing around it. It was weird, man. There was legitimately a bonfire. And I kid you not, the flames the were, the street. Yeah. They were 50 feet tall. I have a video where a car drove by and I was like, it was a stack of chairs at least 20 feet tall and they set it on fire and the flames were 50 feet. You could feel the heat. It was in the middle of like an intersection and on the corner you could feel the heat. Like it hurt. You remember? Like it burned, yeah, bro. I was like, goodness man, gracious. Yeah. So yeah, so yeah, man. We uh, I always remember you could throw down in the kitchen though. I remember we watched the World Cup in Spain, bro, and you threw down. You cooked some good food and stuff like. That. I think you made me uh, some yeah, pasta. I made I made you some bangers and mash though. And we watched thirty yeah, for thirty. Yeah, we watched thirty for thirty, man. Which one did we watch? Once Brothers. No, yeah, we watched Once Brothers. So why do you think you love sports uh, stories so much? Because you love thirty for thirties. Why do you think you love oh, those so man, much? I love thirty for thirties, bro. What about I love what's true about stories? It? 
I think sports, I don't know, for me, just kept it just kept captivates my mind, man. And just to see, I love seeing, I, I love seeing people push their limits. Um, so be it through sports or just like even extreme sports, mountain climbing, um, ultra marathon running. Um, yeah. So the 30 for 30 just got me because then there's also like, there's the human side of it because I think often sports players are idolized and they're made to seem like gods, right? And we don't really get to see like the human side of their stories. And then that was the nice thing that I liked about the ESPN 30 for 30 series was like we got to see like this story about the Once Brothers, you know, first two European players to move over to America and play in the NBA and just like all of the things that they had to overcome and how they were brothers. And, and then, you know, things happened the way they did politically and, and they never spoke with the, again. And then, with the Czechoslovakia yeah. splitting up, right? Yeah. And then it was actually Yugoslavia. It was Yugoslavia. That's Yugoslavia. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, they never spoke, and then Drazen died, and then <laughs> Vladi has to go back, you know. Yeah, it was Vladi Divac and who? Was not Tony and Drazen Kukoc. Petrovic. Drazen Petrovic, yeah. Tony Kukoc was part of that team, though. He came like yeah. a year or two later. Um, you made the but, argument that Drazen Petrovic would have been better than Jordan, I think. Didn't you say that? You said I know, was... oh, I'm not that blasphemous, but no, just like he was a good shooter. <laughs> he was a really good shooter. Oh, you I said he was like... I think he was one of the best. Yeah, I think he was one of the best shooters of all time. He died in a car accident, yeah. yeah. Well, I just remember, man, you and I, like, we talked a lot about sports stories and everything like that. And I think that's what made me so excited to hear that you were pursuing rugby is that, like, you know, in theory, you could go really big with this. You know what I mean? So I have a, here's a, here's a tough question for you. I'm sure you probably already thought. If you have the opportunity to play rugby full time, it becomes your career. Do you put aviation on hold for the time and then come back to it? Or what do you do? I don't know, man. Um, I think I'll probably still stick with aviation, you know. I think mm-hmm. rugby's good, but it'll, it's, you know, that's the thing with sports is, like, it's you don't do it forever, yeah? So mm-hmm. you're only going to do it to, like, the middle of your 30s, and then that's it. And rugby's a contact game, so I'm not <laughs> playing this till I'm, I'm not like Tom Brady, bro. Yeah, you're not going to be the Brady of rugby. No, no, no. I'm not playing that deep into my 40s. Or even LeBron, he's like, what is he, 37, 37. Him yeah, and Ronaldo. That's crazy, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I'm enjoying it. It's been an amazing like opportunity, and just also it's a nice place just to exercise my my faith. Um, been practiced like I got a lot of teammates that are great, and some of them are really hard to love, man. So mm. that's been that's been a, that's been a nice challenge in that sense. But I think I'll probably still stick. I think my calling is definitely more so like the aviation the business. Yeah. So and talk to me briefly. You know, Europe is considered about it's considered to be a post a post-christian environment which is the first time that that's ever been really a thing meaning for the listener post-christian meaning um churches are closing their doors this was once a place so it was the bastion of christianity it was the center of culture when it came to christian culture and it's leaving churches are closing their doors cathedrals are being turning into bars i was talking today about when i was in ireland i had dinner in a church it was really weird but it was the very church that arthur guinness the founder of guinness had or got married in and you're sitting there you're having dinner and you look over to where the altar was and on the ceiling was yahweh in hebrew and i remember feeling really weird about that where i was like this was a holy place um, you know, this was a place of worship and now it's a place, you know, for people to just have a nice dinner. And I was like, you know, obviously there's nothing wrong with eating in church, but that's not what that building was designed for. And it yeah. made me really sad. So, you know, you're in a post-Christian environment where people are skeptical. A lot of people have been burnt, unfortunately, by the Catholic church with some actions that have happened in the past. But not only that, Europe is old. 
bro. Like America is, is, you know, technically the discovery of America happened in 1492, right? When Columbus sailed the ocean blue. That's what they teach us when we're in elementary school, by the way. So, um, but you know, we're only 600 years old, which that's like a blink of an eye in European and African and Asian history. So in Europe, man, they have, they've, they've had 2000 years of Christianity and it's, and it's fading. And from my perspective, it's from a lack of evangelization and just living out the faith in their everyday life. But from your perspective, man, what, what's the most difficult aspects of living in post Christian Poland? I think it's, 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 it's a twofold question. Or my answer will be twofold. One, I came from Zimbabwe, African country, Southern African country. I would say like you've been to Uganda, um, you know how the church is there, how Mm -hmm. strong it is. So, so I think I speak for Southern Africa. We've got a really, let's say, strong Christian community. So it's not out of it's not out of the ordinary for me to tell someone I went to church. And then I remember when I moved to Spain, um, and I'll touch up on Poland as well. But when I moved to Spain, I was working at a restaurant, and somebody asked me like, uh, "What'd you do this weekend?" And I got tired of just saying, "Ah," oh. I was like, "No, actually, yesterday I was in church. You know, Sunday I was in church." Mm. And this girl was like, "Sorry, what?" I was like, "Church." She's like, I, I don't understand. I was like, oh, maybe she doesn't know what it is in English. So I said it in Spanish. I was like, Iglesia. And she's like, oh, you pray? I'm like, yeah. She's like, okay. Kind of just looked at me funny. And that's when I think it kind of hit me that, like, this is, like, it's strange. It's strange. I did. I never, yeah. that was my first time living in a community where people, like, were so, let's say, opposed to the gospel. Um, and, and, yeah, it's sad to see what the church has done to people here just like how they felt burnt and just like the inconsistencies and how yeah there's just yeah people haven't lived out their faith which is really sad so you've seen people move away from that um yeah. and it's it's been hard i think it was the first time where my faith really had to become my own i didn't have like 50 good christian buddies i could call up um you know like i did back home and it was just like you know even if it's just you you got to really become diligent and just reading the words studying the scriptures mm. and like applying yourself because um, if you don't do it, it's very easy for that light to fade away here. And if you don't get plugged into communities um, as fast as you can, then, yeah, it, it will be hard to sustain yourself. You know, it's, I, I'm reminded of an illustration where, like, you've got a fire and there's coals around it, right? And even mm. if you take out one of those coals that's burning really hot in the middle of it, like, if you take it out and just put it to the side, even if it was really burning um, strongly, and then that, if you put it to the side there, away from the fire, it's going to, you know, slowly, 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 just do not get cold and then boom. And I think that that's kind of how I viewed the Christian walk here. It's like if you're not plugged into a community and just actively seeking after God, it's it's hard. It's it's pretty easy to drift. And I mean, it's the same anywhere. I'm sure it's the same in America. Um, but yeah, I think people here are definitely really um, opposed to the gospel, opposed to the church. And it's just because, shame, I don't want people haven't heard the true gospel. Hmm. I believe that people haven't heard the true gospel. And Meaning you think they've heard a works-based gospel yeah workspace gospel they just have the idea of christianity being simply a faith whereas it's like um obey the ten commandments and like go to confession and you'll be good to go and Mm. that's it and so they don't know what christ has done for them they don't know how he's died for our sins you know um yeah they i'm reminded like today i was just listening to a sermon and um again tim keller and he goes like i don't want to misquote it but he's like um he was talking about salvation and just and us being true to ourselves and we need to realize that we are as as, as christians we're more sinful than we could ever imagine but mm. also saved more than we could ever hope and i think that's it's it's something i wish more people here would understand 
Yeah, I was going to say, how do you think that translates to the rugby field, practically speaking? Oh, man, I've been really wrestling with that lately. That's been yeah. something that's really convicted me. I'm actually reading a really good book on that called uh, Game Day for the Glory of God. Um, and nice, it's been nice, I think I've seen that before. Okay, yeah. Who's I got it by? From him. Uh, Stephen Alteridge? Alt, Altrudge. Altrudge. I'm mispronouncing mm. that name. No, yeah, the cover looks familiar. Yeah, I got it. was given to me by an American, actually. Um, nice. Yeah. Makes sense. Small world. <laughs> yeah. And um, it's been really good. I've really enjoyed the book. And just how it applies. Sports has been good, man. That's the one thing I like about it because I'm really having to apply these lessons that I'm, I'm learning about, like um, just being consistent. Like the same Juco that I am, like with my buddies from church or with my buddies from work, I need to be the same in the sports field. But it's hard. Let's say, like when we mess up a play or when I mess up a play, let's say when I mess up a play, like I was supposed to run this way, I was supposed to run right when I ran left, and then I missed my tackle. And, and the other opposition scores, it's like, I'm really frustrated. How am I going to react? Or how am I going to react when I'm angry at my teammate for like missing his coverage, you know, mm. um, and things like that. So it's been, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been hard, but it's been good in the sense that I'm getting really to work on those spiritual muscles as much as we're, you know, going all out in the gym. It's the mm. same, it's the same situation. Um, yeah, spiritually. So that's been nice to kind of exercise my faith. I mean, my teammates, yeah, they. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 difficult in a sense being a Christian in that space. I think rugby is very much a macho sport, machismo. So it's heavy <laughs> drinking as well when machismo. we're done. Yeah, and like just like craziness, you know, after the games. But it's been a good challenge to really go out there and intentionally be a light to, to the people. Mm. Absolutely, man. So are you in the senior team now for your team? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have uh, we're on break now, but we have um, we have like a bike, so we have got two weeks off. And then uh, we have the season kicks off. Just get How long does the season last? It's going to go from now. So we had a winter break. Obviously okay. The snow and the, yeah, we don't really play on the snow and stuff. Well, not too much. Um, so we had a winter break, and now it's going to go basically from now, what are we in, March till June, um, more or less. And then you get to the playoffs. Well, the final four is basically... So kind of like the Premier League, try to make the top four, and then is there um, a promotion? Are you in the top league in Poland? Yeah, there is promotion relegation, um, but we're right in the middle. So, so okay. we're going to see how we finish up the season. Um, but I don't think we need to worry about the relegation. But Do you think nice you'll get promoted? Um, we're, we're on the we're I mean on the cusp. No, no, we're on the top league. So there's like oh, there's you're no, in you're in the top flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice so man. No, it, now it's just trying to win the trying to win the. Is there a Champions League of yeah. of rugby? Yeah, there is. There is. Um, so let me explain real quick to the non-European sports fanatic. Um, the Champions League is a soccer league. Um, I would say tournament rather. That's like the World Cup. That's just for European countries, where the top teams in each top league, which is probably not making sense, but just track with me. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, top four teams in every country that finish the year prior then compete in a year-long tournament to see who the champion of Europe is. So there's a Champions League for uh, rugby in Europe? Yeah. Yes, there is. All right. There is. is it called um, Champions League? Uh, Heineken Cup. The um, Heineken. Oh, I've, okay. So I've, I've seen the Heineken Cup. I've seen that yeah. promoted before. Dude, I could yeah. watch you on TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so I need to not explain. So there's, there's, there's like, okay, for the sake of argument, the Champions League and rugby. Um but those countries, it's like Italy, France, uh, England, Scotland, Ireland. Um, who am I forgetting? Right. So Poland's then, left out? No. 
then okay. Poland, Poland um, would then be considered, let's say, Division Two. Mm. Um, and in the Champions League terms, because then you've got the other countries. You've got your Spain, Portugal, uh, Poland. Um, so it'd be like the Europa Cup, the Europa yes. League. Yes. All right. There we go. There we so go. so can you play your? Okay. So again, there's Champions League and there's Europa League. Both are soccer. The Europa League is yeah, lesser. But now, so it's like yeah, yeah, exactly. So, it's like so can you get promoted to play in the top tier? Or is that just Honestly, based on country? The, the, yeah, it's based on country. If I re, yeah, the best, the easiest way, the easiest way to do it would just be to move, let's say, to France and then just play for a team there. You trying then, to go move to France, Chico? <laughs> I'm, I'm very content where I am. So if coaches, I know you are, away, man. I'm, I'm, I'm very content. I know. So how much longer do you see yourself playing rugby for? Do you have a game plan? As long as I can, man. Till the legs fall off. Um, I mean, at this level, I don't know, man. We'll see. Like, it's not my, it's not my end or be all anymore. You know, I think I made yeah. peace with. I mean, I made peace with not being like professional, professional, and I'm, mm. I'm very happy just um, working and, and and playing at the same time. As tiring as that is, um, so let's say maybe two or three more years. I think of this level. I think I always play. Like yeah. Sunday. Sunday, you Sunday know, Sunday league or Saturday here, yeah, just just with the boys. I think so, I always play, but like. Top, top, but without mm-hmm. divulging too much personal information, can somebody make a living playing rugby at, at, at like on your team? Um, yeah, you can. You okay, can, you can. You just have to be a, a stud. Yes, so we have. Yeah, you can. It's semi-pro, so most of the guys. Okay, still so work. You're, it's still semi-pro, even yeah, in the top semi-pro. flight. Yeah, mm-hmm. so most of the guys still work because rugby is not like it's, it's not, not like football here. Yeah, it's like football. Football here is huge. Like if you play oh, yeah. for like. Even here, if you're playing for like the top league club, you're even if you're in the third division here, you're fine. You know, um, you can you can buy a kebab. You remember those? <laughs> yeah, dude, I miss kebabs. It's not even funny. There's yeah. no equivalent. It's just like a delicious Middle Eastern burrito. It's so good. How, how do you explain it to Americans, man? I say they put meat on a giant sword and they they spin it over fire for hours and then they then they shave it off and they go at that point you lose them. <laughs> but they shave they they put they stack about ten chickens onto a giant spike and then they put it in front of a fire that rotates and they do it for like twelve hours. And as the meat cooks, they just shave it off. Well when they shave it off, they shave it into like a tortilla. Okay. So or um, if you get a if you get a kebab on a plate, which is what I would usually get, but you and I got those good ones that were like in a tortilla. And they would put French fries, they would put some kind of like donair sauce. I don't know, it yeah. was it aioli or something yeah. like that. They would put um which by the way, can I just tell you something? It bothers me that we try to make uh, mayonnaise fancy by calling it aioli. Okay, it's mayonnaise. All right, so <laughs> no, put, it's, not, it's not just mayo, man. That's not just mayo. That's not okay. just mayo. <laughs> yeah, they're just trying to make it fancy. Anyway, so they uh, they have this this delicious sauce. It was like French fries and tomatoes and lettuce and and some sauce, and they put it with this meat, and it is it is heaven. I'm just not gonna. I'm not even gonna lie. You can you could live off kebabs every day. Ooh, and some people do. It's probably, it's probably not the best, but yeah, you could, man. Five some people live off go. that, though, man, because yeah. it's cheap. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you get yeah, a yeah. burrito for two dollars, <laughs> two yeah. euro. Yeah, okay. So, definitely but my go to snack. Oh, it's the best. But you know what I miss, man, is that we don't really have a mom and pop food culture here in America. We've designed our infrastructure to where you have to drive everywhere. And so I kind of mm. miss about Europe. You can walk, and as you walk, you'll come across like 12 mom and pop businesses that you can just you know you just build relationships with people like i don't remember remember that kebab place i took you to outside my apartment in barcelona i forgot what the guy's name was but 
all summer. Like I ate there every day for lunch and, and the guy there, he and I got really close. I got to share the gospel with him, he and his employees. And uh, I told him he needed to move to America and open a store selfishly because I wanted kebabs every day. But, <laughs> you got to trade under the franchise, buddy. What do dude, you, what do you miss more about uh, your time, your time in Spain? Man, that's a really, uh, honestly, honestly, the food is different. Like in terms yeah. of health, our food, like for example, our flour is enriched. It's like, it's so it solved world hunger, but our bodies don't process the enriched flour well. So like, right. um, seriously, like you don't remember when we were kids, they talked about how like, w- like I feel like world hunger is still a thing, but it's not what it used to be. You know what I'm saying? And I think yeah, it's because yeah. we've, we've genetically engineered food, but in America, it means our food's gotten terrible in quality. But the thing that I, I miss the most, man, is about Spain. Life was just slower. You know, you, you, you really, you got thing you got a lot done because, you were able to slow down in the middle of the day. Everybody took a nap and in the morning and in the afternoon, people crushed it, man. They worked really hard, but they like, they, you slept a lot. You slept well. Okay. But you still got work done. Now, granted you weren't eating dinner till 10 o'clock at night, but yeah. I'd say like, I miss, I miss the two things I miss is the quality of food that I could go to a mom and pop place where here in America, you don't really trust it. Cause you're like, I'm not really eating there, but you know that no matter where you go eat, especially if it's on like the street, like the like if it, yeah, yeah. If it's yeah. on a main street, you can sit down. It's not a chain, and you're going to get a delicious meal, and it's going to be relatively inexpensive. Um, I'd say I miss that, and then I just miss the the pace of life being slower. You know, I'm not sure if it's like that in other countries. I don't know how it is in Poland, um, but you know, Barcelona is just a warm city. People want to sit down and talk. I remember multiple times I'd be sitting eating, and you know, some random woman from Belarus invited me to have a kebab with her while I was sitting by myself and I didn't, I got to share the gospel with her. And then the next time, you know, a random dude that I was talking to, man, he ended up becoming one of my good buddies. And so people are just warm and friendly, man. And so I guess I kind of missed that, but that was pre COVID. I'm sure that's all gone now. <laughs> yeah, it's coming back though, actually. It's, you think it's so? come back. Yeah. Yeah. It's come back, man. Cause that's so, that's so much a part of the culture. You know, you can't, I definitely you can't think we go for another hour talking about your COVID yeah, experience yeah. in Europe. Yeah. What do you think about us Wild West Cowboys over here? Yeah, maskless and whatnot, man. <laughs> hey, G, I, I'm not even going to say it. I was going to tell you the last time I wore a mask, but I don't want to get anybody mad at me. <laughs> Actually, um, well, okay, I don't, don't want to get too political. But things are, <laughs> things, things are opening up here as well, which is nice. Um, That's the good. The kind of getting back to normal, and so yeah, we'll see. Well, at our State of the Union, which I find it interesting still that Europeans pay attention to our politics, and I couldn't even tell you who the Prime Minister of Poland is, but... You know, I don't know why that is. Maybe we're just loudmouth and, you know, we're just some, we're a bunch of people yelling across the pond. But, you know, it, we, at our State of the Union, which is a speech, I hate the State of the Union. I think the State of the Union is is a monarchical, if that makes sense. It's like mm-hmm. a king. You know, a president's not supposed to be like a king or a dictator, but we walk him down in front of all the Congress and we're clapping at him. The president was supposed to be like a plumber originally. When you read the Federalist Papers, which I have a copy right here, when you read the Federalist Papers, you see that when you read the Federalist Papers right here, I love, I'm, I'm a nerd, bro. The Federalist Papers were written by John Jay, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton. And Alexander Hamilton wrote a majority of them. Um, you see that they wanted our government to be designed like a Federalist where it was controlled by the people through a, a, a federal government, but the localized governments governed themselves. The president was supposed to be like a plumber. Okay, what do I mean by that? The Congress was supposed to be the one that got the job done, meaning like they were the ones that were supposed to doing the work. And the president was supposed to be the guy that came in and he kind of gave some vision, 
right? And he kind of like fixed the issues. He was supposed to be like a plumber. He wasn't supposed to be like a figurehead. You know what I mean? He wasn't supposed to be like the main man. Okay. But he was, and he is, and he, and he, and he always has been, I'm not saying that that's like they, that, that were wrong. I'm just saying that when they wrote the Federalist Papers, that was the idea. Now at our state of the union, nobody was wearing a mask. So in my mind, I'm going, I think we're on our way out if it's not already over. So, but that's not to offend anybody that's been hurt Fingers by crossed. Fingers crossed, man. We're almost there. It's back to normal life, yeah? I'll be, back. I'll be on a plane with my son and my wife over to Poland when it is, buddy. Uh, it'll be good to see Sullivan, man, but we got to get that terrible Manchester City flag behind Oh, you, my. <laughs> oh, my Dude, goodness. I need to tell your, your listeners how offensive this flag is to the average, uh, the average citizen this well, side of the world. At man. least my club isn't owned by a hey, Russian hey, dignitary. Hey, 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 hey. Let's not go presto. <laughs> you know, I had a bug. actually... I had a guy from England on my podcast named Dan Blythe and uh, he came on and before the podcast recorded, he goes, uh, Manchester City fan, huh? I said, yeah, who are you a fan of? He said, Chelsea. I was just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, what's like, who owns, who owns Manchester City? Just for this. Oh, oh. A, 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 a Saudi Arabian oil prince, Sheikh Mansour. Uh, hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. not the best. No, Listen, man. I'm not saying that uh, a saint owns our club, but a saint definitely doesn't own your club. Uh, he doesn't own us anymore, man. We're owned by That's the true. British government, by the well, people of Conor McGregor is about to buy your club. That would be interesting. I don't know if I want to see that. It might be you should, bro. Are you kidding me? I would totally trade Conor McGregor for a minute. I would totally want him to be the owner of Manchester City. That'd be hilarious. Yeah, yeah but it's You'll just, do nothing. <laughs> He's going to come in and dribble our heads, man. <laughs> Bro, he's going to be playing on the... He's going to make himself the number 10. He's going to come out there. He's going to be play striker. Yes. Of the uh, champ, champ. All right. Well, Gico, man, I'm so happy that you can come on. And, uh, man, you're just... You're doing incredible things over there in Poland. I know you're being a good witness and sharing the gospel with your teammates. And I can't wait to see what God does with you in your life. And uh, if you win the Heineken Cup or if you, uh, you know... Start your ministry in Zimbabwe, man. I'm just, I'm just happy to know you, bro. I know that the favor of the Lord is upon you. So, um, man, it's so good to have you on, man. Uh, pleasure is all mine, man. Good to chat. Absolutely. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Do me a favor. If you're listening to this, go to the top of the screen of the page. Go ahead and give me a like and subscribe and give me a, give me a rating. Go ahead and give me a rating. Give me your honest rating. I'm not even going to ask 10 you. 10 out of 10. Stars. That's all we 10 want. 10 out of 10. There we go, baby. 10 out of 10. All right, y'all. Thank you so much. I'll see you next week. <laughs>